Hey, it's your paper dictionary that you only ever use for that sweet Instagram content, Irene. So two things you need to know about this episode. First, I learned my lesson with the band outside and was trying to find a meeting room with better acoustics and less noise, all that good stuff. And when I was researching, I saw a place with audio foam on the wall and was like, yes, but turns out, no, because the echo in that room, it's present. Sorry about that. And second, this episode was recorded in August, so don't be surprised when you hear us mention the end of summer. Okay, now to the episode. Russian. The word comes from Russia, which has the root Rus, like Kiev Rus, which is now Ukraine, and Belarus. And it is thought to be taken from the Vikings and means the man who row. Russian is considered to be one of the richest and also the most difficult languages. Oh, and we will find out why. Also, should you read Russian poetry? What's up with patronyms? Will Hollywood and Cyrillic ever be friends? Which words could English take from Russian and Russian from English? And how to grow roses in December? As you might know by now, I have a rather intimate connection to this language, so I'm very excited for you two to finally meet. Just don't become best friend behind my back, okay? My full name is Ekaterina Alexandrovna Kaminska. All right. You're going to touch me and go, how do you feel about being called Kate? I like it. All right. So Kate, Katie. Katie. Kate. Kate. Better Kate. Okay. For, yeah, because I have... Um, that's, so, that's so weird that in Russia we do have this second name and that's so normal to call people Ekaterina Alexandrovna. Yep. I'm jumping right at you 25 seconds in. So the word patronym comes from Greek pater, which means daddy, I mean father, and it is used to show a family lineage. So it's like an extra word to your name that at least used to show a belonging to a certain family. It was common all around the world, but over time most of them transformed into family names. So a son of William became Wilson, a son of Gerald became Fitzgerald, a son of Rodrigo, Rodriguez, a son of Andrew, Anderson, and so on. But some places like Russia, Belarus, Ukraine, Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, Turkmenistan, and still use both patronyms and surnames to this day. So, a son of Peter uses Petrovich, a son of Leonid uses Leonidovich, and a son of Anton would use Antonovich, and their daughters would use Petrovna, Leonidovna, and Antonovna, respectively. And if you're thinking, Wow. Women carry babies for nine months and, like, literally give birth to them, but still men come along and slap their name all over the child. First, I love you and I feel you. And second, yeah, kind of. But there is also a female version of the word, which is a matronym, and even though it is used way less, and the word itself is highlighted in red in the word document, I am typing this alone. It is still available and is an option for anyone who would like to honor their mothers instead or as well. Of course, when I'm speaking English, I, I like to be called Kate. And so you are teaching English? Yeah, yeah I used uh-huh. to teach Spanish because uh, I used to speak it better. Okay. <laughs> because now I try, to, I try to do my best in English. So 
I, I, I give up. <laughs> I give up with my Spanish language. Right, but but I just take it. Yeah, we're going to get to that. But I noticed you have a lot of projects. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm doing. I, I love to speak. So this is my passion because uh, uh, I'm not as good in writing and spelling. Um, I'm not that uh, usual teacher who can teach uh, children. Now I'm trying to uh, give a lot of people who are learning English more support. And that's why I'm organizing some speaking clubs, because I know that there are a lot, but all of them are basically something like um, just the process of speaking, and they are more for people who are up intermediate or even higher or mm-hmm. intermediate at least. But mm-hmm. I'm trying to give uh, my students the support of a teacher as well. All my projects are about that. That's what I like, and that's my real, real passion. So I put a lot of effort into that. And I know because when we met, you were pretty much the first person who became an example for me that you don't have to just work. You can enjoy the things because I know you do painting and you do poetry. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm doing as well. Yeah, I like to enjoy my life. I try to. Uh, so I'm, I'm an English teacher. That's how I earn money. But also, um, I improve myself in so many different spheres, like as you said, in poetry and in painting. Speaking of poetry, yeah. Did you bring any? Yeah, yeah. Uh, actually, uh, you asked me about my poetry, yeah, and so it's mine. And um, I wrote it a year ago. It was July, and I was so happy. I'm usually always happy. Not usually, but I'm always happy in summertime. And um, I always regret when it's over. And now it's August again. And uh, I feel that summer is going to end soon. And I always have that. That feeling, you know, that I'm losing something and it's going away. So this poem is kind of about that. So, когда это лето закончится, когда будут запахи выпиты, и я, как усталая гонщица, присяду на грустью увитые качели времен неизбежные, качели рябиновые осени, а ты свои руки нежные положишь на желтую спросенью. Листву, что сейчас играется, голосием птиц рассвечено. И скажешь, моя красавица, печаль ведь совсем не вечная. В тот миг из июльской спелости, из чая Ивана сладости, из дружбы паховской зрелости нас осень окутает радостью. Chills, literal chills. Oh my God! Thank you. That was so beautiful. And the way you presented, I wish I didn't know the language. You see, I'm actually crying. <laughs> I'm sensitive. I wish I didn't know the language that I can just listen to the sound, but the meaning and the sound. Yeah. Oh my <laughs> Thank God. Thank you. Thank you yeah, so much. So pleasant. Is, oh my God! So beautiful. Can you briefly translate it? I actually thought about the translating. I will do it, and before I do the real translation, I think that I can tell uh, some saying that I have remembered. I try to also translate it because I also remember it in Russian. Well, the saying is, "God gives us memories so that in December we also can have roses. Anything you experience today will be your memories tomorrow. So help God, and wherever you can, please plant roses." I guess that this is about that. And thank you very much for this question because uh, I have finally realized why have I written it. And I guess that the idea of the poem uh, is the idea that we have such beautiful moments in our life. We love them. We feel warm. We feel pleasure. We feel all of that. And when it's over, we sometimes regret. I always regret about that. I always feel so much so bad in winter time. And This poem is about catching the moment and catching people and catching good emotions 
from the moments when you're happy and keep all of them into moments when you are not as good as you were. But thanks for these emotions and moments and people uh, who maybe used to be with you, but not still, you can also feel warmth and pleasure and happiness and love. So this is about that. <laughs> this poem is about that. Are you in love with her already or what? That is quite something. How do you get inspired? Actually, I can tell you that to do all of that, of course, you might have inspiration, but also it's a lot of work and it's a lot of reading of a lot of, of different poets. And especially I love Russian poetry. I love Russian poets. I love all of them, uh, beginning from Pushkin, moving to Lamentov, to Akhmatova, Setaeva, Mendelstam, uh, Gumilov and all of them. Mm-hmm. They're all my inspirations. Boy, buckle up, folks, for a 101 into Russian poetry. What I'm about to tell you is an extremely short version, because when I first searched for Russian poetry, brief history, books of 800 pages and 40-hour-long video courses with the same name came up. So here's what you need to know. Before the 19th century, Russian poetry was meh. People didn't really care, it was difficult to read, and it mostly served the rich and the religious. But... At the beginning of the century, a young, handsome boy with curly hair and Ethiopian roots would come along. His name was Alexander Pushkin, also known as the Shakespeare of Russian. His writing was rebellious in its form, but he was immediately accepted and praised for it. The reason why he was and is liked so much is that he showed the actual way lay people spoke and lived, but with like an Instagram filter of poetry over it. This, as you might have noticed, was like, the main focus of Russian literature for a long time after him. And I did really want to mention his Ethiopian roots, mostly because it's an example of black excellence that is often neglected. Meanwhile, another young, but reportedly less handsome guy, Mikhail Lermontov, was like, oh my god, goals. But he would only act on it right after Pushkin's death, rather because of it. His poetry wasn't as influential as his prose, but he carried the torch and helped to inspire many future poets and poetresses. A fun fact about him is that he was very likely not straight. Who is anyways, right? And yes, I am very eager to show that even a currently repressed society can be just as diverse. Anyways, of course, there were other poets figuring it out and promoting their works into the masses like Afanasifet and Ferdi Tutchev. The two were great friends, and that's why you could have probably heard their names paired together so often. Fett's writing is a little bit too conservative, and despite the fact that he was a cynic, slightly lovey-dovey to my taste. But Tutchev was quite a philosopher, and his poetry is deep. He coined the very famous... Which can be roughly translated as There is no way to understand Russia, there is no way to measure it, it's got a unique build and we can only do as much as believe in it. At the end of the 19th century, great writers and poets were born one right after the other, making the first part of the 20th century a blooming and booming period for Russian men soon to be Soviet poetry. All the people Kate mentioned, Gumilov, Akhmatova, Tsvetaeva, Mandelstam, were among the most significant poets of the time. Alongside with Mayakovsky, Vlok, Pasternak, they each created works about their lives, love, the government, be it praise or condemnation, and societal changes. 
Speaking of the devil, if you ever go through a poem collection of any of those people, you will see a trend of their first works being light and airy and full of hope and provocation, and would finish with poems that just tear through heart with the depiction of harsh reality those people had the misfortune to live. And I didn't even have the joke to round it up with. It was that bad. So I always learn, I study by reading them, by, by performing their poetic I don't know, masterpieces. Mm -hmm. And um, this is what makes me inspired as well. Do you have like one and only favorite poem or just a writer poet? Well, um, difficult to answer because I have a lot of a lot of them. I do love Gumilov. Mm -hmm. I guess that he is very unique poet and he was a husband of very famous Russian poetry. <laughs> yeah, and uh, she was um, I guess even more I guess she's even more famous than he is, right? Yeah, yeah. I definitely like him. He's he's so unique and he's so much not Saint P poet. I mean Ahmadova she's totally from you know North Russia mm -hmm. and he's so much not and he traveled a lot around the world and he was inspired I guess by um, African landscapes and other warm places so that's why I feel some connection with him and he's definitely unique because he was quite a direct person as well exactly exactly yeah but I guess that it was not so easy for them but well who was this Nikolai Gumilov person you wonder well as we say he was quite something and he managed to dip his fingers into multiple pies he created a unique school of poetry was a literary critic, served in the military, and traveled all around Europe and Africa. But among other things, what really got him into the history books was the creation of the Guild of Poets. It was kind of in an open mic, and I wanted to say, just without the mics, because they weren't invented yet. But turns out, yes, they were in 1876, so there's that. So the guild's members would gather and, of course, share their poetry, art and ideas, but trust and belief when I say that they had drama, they had love, they had death and some burning homesickness for pre-Soviet Russian Empire. Remember I said it was so sad I didn't have a joke for it? What had happened was people who were considered to be kind of an elite, like doctors and scientists and artists and poets, had criminal charges fabricated against them and were brutally executed because of that. So when we talk about the three waves of Russian immigration, and actually anyone seeking refuge, those were and are people fleeing death. Here's a piece of Kate's favorite poem, The Lost Tram, read at you in a very dramatic manner. Шел я по улице незнакомый, и вдруг услышал вороний грай, и звона лютни, и дальние громы. Передо мною летел трамвай. Как я вскочил на его подножку, Было загадкою для меня. В облаке огненную дорожку Он оставлял и при свете дня. Мчался он бурей темный, крылатый, Он заблудился в бездне времен. Остановите, вагоновожатый! In a nutshell, the tram is a metaphor for the new Soviet government formed after the revolution, and Gumilov thought it was corrupted and just as lost. Oof, that's it. That was the most emotional taxing part of the episode, I promise. We can breathe now. More jokes and fun to come your way. 
Do you think there is any value in reading Russian poetry in English? Um, only, <laughs> I guess, only for people who can uh, use it somehow. As for me, I would do it for some interest. I have actually never done it, All right. to be honest. I, of course, read English and especially yeah, British poets and uh, in Russian translation as well. But I guess that I have never read anyone Russian in English. I have to do it, definitely. I can recommend Eugene Anegin. Uh-huh. Uh, there is a one-hood translation which is quite close to the original one. It's the one read by Stephen Please. Fry. Yes. And oh, he's awesome. Yeah. I, I love him. That he is yeah. the best reader in the world, I guess. <laughs> For one may be a man of reason and mind the beauty of his nails. Why argue vainly with the season? For custom's rule a man prevails. Now my Eugene, Chadayev's double, from jealous critics fearing trouble, was quite the pedant in his dress, and what we called a fop, no less. At least three hours he peruses his figure in the looking-glass, then through his dressing-room he'll pass like flighty Venus when she chooses in man's attire to pay a call at masquerade or midnight ball. All I'm saying is, give it a go. Yeah, and I also recommend him uh, for my students uh -huh. because his pronunciation is the best and it's so easy to catch everything. The meaning, the sense, the intonations, the accent, I love him. Great. So, how do you feel about Russian? What's your relationship with the language? Oh, <laughs> top. When I was a student, actually, it was so difficult for me, especially spelling. As I said before, I'm not as good in spelling as in speaking, for example, and it's the same about Russian language. I had poor grades in Russian language, and because of that, my parents decided to move schools for me. Uh, I also remember a moment when I was 11 years old, I was so bad at spelling that my mother found some technique to improve child's, or not even child's, but anybody's spelling language, mm -hmm. Russian language. You must every day copy by hand one page of Leo Tolstoy, War and Peace. Oh my God. So all summer long, I was doing it every day, never mind. And I spent my summer that days in, um, in countryside, somewhere near Voronezh, mm -hmm. central Russia. And uh, the weather was wonderful. And uh, I wanted to go for work, but no, one hour a day, I was copying by hand uh, all, all, all of this. But to be honest, it really improved my uh, spelling. All right. Yeah, okay. so now I'm much better. Oh, so you were like 12 and reading? 11. 11. I was, 11. 11. I was not reading. Oh. <laughs> I'm just copying it. I was not, I did it. Of course, only Russian parts, French parts I skipped. <laughs> yeah, okay, because I also, I struggle with Russian language and I still do because it is. Yeah. Why are there so many rules? I don't know. Okay, I hope you're ready to open this Pandora's box. When people say that Russian grammar is a nightmare, they mean that there is gender, so wind is masculine, earth is feminine, and sun is neutral. Ugh. I mean, to be fair, it's not that uncommon in many other languages, and in this case gender just defines the quality of the noun or the same. Then there are also cases, so each noun has up to 12 forms and each adjective has up to 25 forms with various meanings and uses. There are also tenses and the aspects. You could say that it's the easiest part because there's just past, present and future, but again, each verb has to fit the noun it accompanies. All of this influences the spelling of the word and its role in a sentence. To give an example, 
in English, the verb say has like maybe four forms. In Russian, the same verb has about 31. Technically, there are a few words in Russian language, but you have to know all the different ways they can disguise themselves. If you're already crying into the void of the night sky, tell me why! Here's what's up. A Russian language started out as several languages piled together wearing a trench coat and trying to act natural. So the rules weren't originally controlling the language, but rather trying to describe and systemize it. It did go through some minor changes in the past couple of centuries, but if let's say you're reading Pushkin or Tolstoy in the original, you are reading pretty much what they wrote 200 years ago. We are learning them. We are learning them. We learned them how many? 11 years now? 10 years? And it's too much, I guess, but it's too hard. And it's really hard. Because we still we speak the language, but when we try to look at it from like a language point of view, it's mm-hmm. like, what the hell is going on? Absolutely, Why? absolutely. It's so difficult and I can not understand foreigners. I mean, I can understand because maybe they're, <laughs> they are fighters, mm-hmm. but uh, truly, I, I, I feel so sorry for them because I know that it's unbelievably hard. And to be honest, I have never heard any foreign person from Europe, for example, who could speak Russian like, perfectly. Because I know people who speak English perfectly for example, but I don't know um, any foreigners who speak Russian without any accent or something like that. This like, stereotype about Russian being hard yeah. is, is kind of true. I mean, it's they say there is like, Chinese and Finnish language, uh-huh. but Russian is hell right as well. I'm sure that maybe they're equal in this, in this hard learning, I mean, with uh, Chinese and uh, Finnish. So I truly believe that it's really hard. And what about English? How did you start learning that? Well, uh, I guess in kindergarten, uh-huh. yeah, my parents were really straightforward. <laughs> they, uh, they wanted me to speak. My father doesn't speak English at all. Mm-hmm. My mother used to speak it better, but now I guess that she, she forgets a lot. But when I was a young uh, girl, yeah, she spoke. The good thing was that my parents could afford traveling. Mm-hmm. And so my first trip to Europe was when I was two years old. And it was 1994, early years, not so many people went to broke those days but I could and that's why I didn't have that that fear of speaking foreign languages because from the very childhood I could do it that's why I started just learning it and I felt okay mm-hmm. of course it was just uh, singing or I don't know counting and then at school from the first grade I also learned English but I don't like it I guess I don't like learning grammar rules and um, I guess that the first time when it really clicked when I felt like ooh that's cool was when I moved schools and um, I was 11 mm-hmm. after after uh, copying by hand Leota sorry I came to a new class and they it was English school and they all spoke English so good they were so perfect and well I thought that well I must I guess not me but my mother thought that I had to improve it and so I started to have a with the tutor. Of course, I was not interested in grammar rules, but she decided to go another way and she brought some cassettes, some discs of great English mm-hmm. songs. And I remember what a wonderful word. It was the first song uh, which I learned. I was um, sitting and I was listening again and again, I was repeating, I was trying to understand. Then she brought Scorpions and it was my big passion. I loved them so much and Wind of Change, Holiday, when it came into my life, uh, all of these songs, they were my first step 
to English language. Right. Yeah. So I learned by uh, listening to songs, I guess. Yeah, and that's exactly how children learn by just copying. Absolutely. So I, I just copied. I just copied. That's right. What was the hardest part learning English or Spanish or both? Mm, I know what. It's still, I'm, I cannot say that I'm a lazy person, okay. but I'm definitely not as straightforward as I wanted mm. to be. I, <laughs> I cannot go deeper into something. I mean, I'm like running, running around. So I'm clever. I'm, I'm you are. Yeah, yeah I, I know that. And I know that uh, sometimes, especially languages, I can I can get everything so quickly and easily. Mm -hmm. And that's why I'm not really diving into something. And uh, that's why it's so hard for me to become proficient in English, for example, even like perfectly advanced, because uh, I, I really feel that, okay, why do I need it? It's a bit too hard. I need to study so much. I need to pass uh, more exams. So, uh, for me, I guess the, the hardest moment in learning languages is just to give myself a motivation to study more. We discussed at length why language learners think that they have to be perfect and concluded that, surprise, surprise, no one really is. So, if you have a message and you want to talk, just put it out there. Who cares if someone judges you? It's all chaos anyways. <laughs> so, that's the question that I guess a lot of people have. Russian, Ukrainian, Belarus. Are they the same? Are they different? Is it a dialect? Is it a language? Well, what can I tell you? I'm not really good in Belarus <laughs> culture <laughs> and everything. But I know some about Ukrainian mm -hmm. and about Ukraine because my best friend, now actually she lives in Barcelona, she was born in Uzbekistan mm -hmm. and when she was two she moved to Kyiv so we met when she came to my class what happened there uh, we became friends and because she lived in uh, Ukraine um, she could teach me a lot I even tried to learn Ukrainian language uh, of course it's totally different language yeah we have nothing of course we have a lot in common but uh, it's really hard for only Russian speaking person to understand anything in Ukrainian after some time of uh, watching movies uh, with the Ukrainian speakers and uh, even speaking with some people with her I could understand most of the things but but still then I couldn't speak because you need to know a lot. It's different vocabulary, it's different grammar sometimes. And uh, of course, these two languages are totally different. Nowadays, uh, I'm interested in uh, all this Ukrainian situation. And um, now it's forbidden for them, as I know, to speak in Russian. Kind of. Schools, broadcasting companies and governmental departments are all required to use Ukrainian. But you can expect to hear Russian here and there within the country. Ukrainian, by the way, sounds something like this. This was a part of a social ad praising and promoting the use of Ukrainian language in Ukraine. And most likely, rightfully so, because it took me a while to find some content that wasn't in Russian. I guess that just goes to show you how widespread the language is within the country. Nevertheless, confusing Russian and Ukrainian is like confusing siblings. Understandable, but they are still two completely different entities. And siblings they are indeed, as they both came out of the same dialect. In the 9th century, a big chunk of Europe spoke Slavic language, and most Slavs could easily understand each other. And that time, Russian was just a part of a group of widespread dialects known as Old East Slavic. 
about 10 centuries will pass until Russian turns into what it is now. And most of the transformations it went through were because of religion, war, or the ruler at the time. If you unwrap the trench coat Russian is hiding in, you will see English, standing on the shoulders of French, standing on the shoulders of German, standing on the shoulders of Latin, standing on the shoulders of Greek, who's holding Tatar's hand. And they are all standing on the back of old church Slavonic. A lot of words and grammar were borrowed from other languages, because with each invasion or war or crusade, people were seeking new words to express their experiences. But when it comes to the way all those words are spelled, we get a rather unique way called Cyrillic. This alphabet was allegedly created by two Greek brothers, St. Cyril and Methodius. And when I say allegedly, I mean that it was most likely their students who done the work. And what they did was basically listen to people speak and decide which sign suits each sound best. So, so just like this, just decide it. I have mentioned it's okay, haven't I? To be clear, the first version of the alphabet just somewhat resembles the modern one. And if you wonder, how did they write before the Cyrillic was invented? Then we have the same brain. The most common belief is that they used what is called pre-Christian Slavic writing. It looks a lot like stick figure drawings, just all in different poses and with no head. So no head? Now, Russian is the eighth most widely spoken language, with about 170 million native speakers and about 300 million speakers overall. Knowing it will make you feel at home in Russia, Belarus, Kyrgyzstan, and Kazakhstan. You will also find a lot of native speakers in the countries that once were a part of USSR, like Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia, and Moldova. Yeah, and uh, the reason I guess where this confusion comes from is that we have Hollywood movies that usually present one like the other, or like Russian as Ukrainian or Ukrainian as Russian, and then people are, oh, it's the same, but it's... Of course. Actually, I here I do understand uh, Ukrainian people who are not Russians and uh, who sometimes uh, feel upset when somebody mixed them up mm -hmm. and when somebody do not identify their nationality. Because, yeah, we are different. I mean, in culture, we are different in uh, language and uh, even historical, I don't know, ways uh, could be different. I guess that they are more Europe than we are. I, I think. Oh, there is so much I want to tell you about Ukrainian, but I guess we'll have to wait for a native speaker to tell us in detail about all the ins and outs. But for now, here are some major differences between the two languages that share about 60% of their lexicon in one way or another. As you might remember from like seconds ago, both Russian and Ukrainian came out of East Slavic language. But eventually, they split into dialects and kept transforming under completely different influences. While Russian was heavily influenced by all Church Slavonic and European languages, Ukrainian was mostly influenced by Polish. This family separation led to grammar structures being different, same or similar words having completely unrelated meanings, and even alphabets are not the same. The Russian one is full-on Cyrillic, and the Ukrainian one has a mix of both Latin and Cyrillic letters. Speaking of which, when it comes to Hollywood's use of Cyrillic, it's mostly done in any way but right. And I wanted to say, like, Google it, I guess? But apparently it is done intentionally, in a way that they try to use as many unfamiliar letters as possible to make it seem 100% Slavic to mostly American audience. Did not know that a minute ago. But what I do know is that all those misuses of Cyrillic are widely shared and pretty much turned into memes. What does Kate think about this odd pair? 
To be honest, I don't like it. <laughs> yeah, of course I don't like it because uh, there are so many different Russian people and sometimes I also laugh when I'm listening to some podcasts or some YouTube videos with some uh, American actors and British actors. Oh yes, fluffy rabbits and teddy bear. I, I can laugh, but yeah, I want them to appreciate us <laughs> as well uh, because we're different, we're all different and sometimes when I go abroad, especially in the past, I pretended that I am um, I'm not Russian because, uh, yeah, I could do it because of my English. But, you know, sometimes I feel, I feel sorry that uh, uh, they think that all Russians are like mafia, bad guys, and uh, we are so different and we can, we, can be, we can speak English, we can be very educated and we cannot like uh, the government and uh, we cannot support them so yeah it's about the old countries and it's the same about Russia I guess yeah and speaking of stereotypes are there any in language that you hate language mm-hmm. you mean Russian language yeah the stereotypes so the only ones I found were the hardest language mm-hmm. it's very difficult it's extremely difficult no and also that it's harsh like yes yes I also yeah I uh, remember one video of uh, Mila Kunis she's Ukrainian and she said when my dad and I have a conversation about just how much we love each other and everything's great and we're having a fantastic day it legitimately sounds like Klingon like a family to people whereas to me my dad's are like I love you honey how's your day and apparently it just sounds like gibberish of yelling so probably it's really hard for me because I cannot I cannot not be Russian. I sometimes try. I try to understand how uh, our language sounds, mm-hmm. but you know it's impossible sometimes. So maybe they're right because, for example, I do feel the same thing about Arabian language. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's it's kind of harsh, but well, I can I can trust them <laughs> in this way. If you have the same perception of Arabic, then go back and listen to the first episode. You might just discover something new. It depends yeah. what you're used to, because definitely English and more Anglo-Saxon language, they're more flowy, absolutely tender. Okay, we get it. Russian might sound harsh, but what sounds are there to begin with? So first, I propose we collectively write a love letter to vowels, because even in such a difficult language, we get the very familiar... A, E, O, U, Ya, Ye, I, U. Okay, there is also this one. Yeah. And this one. But it doesn't count, okay? By the way, there are 42 sounds in Russian, 36 of which are consonants. And it is not to say that there are as many letters. There are just two versions of most consonants. They can be soft or hard. It's not what you think. Which just means that the letter changes its sound slightly depending on its surrounding. So you will see the same letter for B, B. Or Z, Z, and L, L. There are some that only have one form. Z, Y, T, Ch, Sh, Sh. And there are also sounds like R, H, Yeah. What else? Sh. We have yeah. We have a lot of even D, D, T. Yeah, they sound like extremely hard. I do agree with you. Right. And what do you think about that? It's ugly. Does it ugly? Yeah, so the, again, something I found like mm-hmm. just searching through Quora and the internet that Russian language is 
manly and ugly. Well, I hate it. Okay, <laughs> yeah, frankly. Yeah, I, I don't like it. Of course, I'm Russian and uh, um, it's never pleasant to hear that kind of words about a part of you. So this is my language. I like it. And uh, if you think it, read Pushkin <laughs> and other poets and... Uh, yeah, and look at you, <laughs> not at me. Yeah. yeah, of course I don't like it. Yeah, I guess again, it it's too offensive. Yeah, it comes from just ignorance and just mm-hmm. again not being open to culture. I'm not yeah. shaming anyone, but it's definitely something that we get used to a lot to just certain things, and then we just close our minds to everything else. And it's about language and culture and anything else. But yeah, yes. and about stereotypes about bears. Oh uh, my god, streets and all of that. Yeah, but where exactly does this bear stereotype comes from? I mean, to be fair, the image of a bear was used to symbolize Russia for centuries, for example in Soviet cartoons, as an Olympic mascot, and in circuses and plays. But don't even get me started on animals being used as entertainment. Circus animals? No. However, this symbol got more of a negative connotation in the 19th century, when it was shown in political sketches as a big, clumsy and brutal creature. And I guess what the idea of bears roaming freely in cities really trying to convey is remoteness, lack of education, and backwardness, which is not necessarily the case. You do speak Spanish. Yeah, I do. <laughs> Are there any other languages that you secretly speak? Secretly, no. I uh, try to uh, speak a lot of languages in my uh-huh. life. As I said before, I tried to learn Ukrainian and I gave up. I tried to learn French. I definitely gave up. <laughs> no, French is not for me. It's too, too not mine. Mm-hmm. That's what I can tell you. I tried to learn German. Um, no, didn't fit. I tried to learn Bulgarian and mm-hmm. Serbian languages. So actually, I'm very interested in Slavic languages and cultures because they are too close to Russian. And I was also very interested in how do they live. So to be honest, I just had boyfriends in Bulgaria okay. and uh, Serbia. So I, I tried to speak these languages, but um, I like them. Of course, I do not remember anything from that. But uh, still, I I can say some words in Serbian, like... No, I can't. No, no, It's like bye-bye. Yeah. Um, so, okay, so I got the boyfriend part, the school part with French and the friend with the Ukrainian. Mm-hmm. What are the other languages? What, what makes you want to be like, yes, I wouldn't know you? Oh, for now, for now. I, I guess that I just want to be more proficient in Spanish language, for mm-hmm. example, because uh, I really need to give more attention to this language, how I feel it. Well, I think that language should make some... You know what? I even, when I was preparing for our meeting, I thought that when I speak Russian language, I feel like it's like my family, because it's something that was given to me at birth, mm-hmm. and uh, I couldn't do anything with that, like, like my family, right? Then my English, it's like my business partner or friend, because it's always earns money for me. And talking about Spanish, it's like my great passion. It's like my lover or something mm. like that. Because when I speak Spanish, I feel um, I feel warmth, I feel love, I feel I wish to dance, to sing, I don't know, to smile. So this this why I actually learn it and why I speak it. Because when I speak Spanish, I'm happy. That's what I can tell you. For now, I don't know any other languages which can give me so much as uh, Spanish does. So I better put all my 
attention to Spanish language. And you also answer my question as we go, because I want to ask you about how you feel if you feel any different in any of the languages. And yeah, absolutely. That's such a distinction. Absolute distinction. Absolute. I mean, I really feel so different. Even English. So English is really, it's always for earning. <laughs> for earning and for communicating. And I like it so much. It's like my big, big friend, the best friend. English is my best friend, definitely. And um, it is a friend that never, never, never betrays me. I really respect it. Uh, but Spanish, yes. They have so passionate rela relationship. And, uh, you know, really, when I uh, hablar español, cuando hablo español, yo me siento, me siento mucho, me siento que yo quiero sonrear, que yo quiero bailar, que yo quiero cantar y disfrutar de vida. Y... If your Spanish is as non-existent as mine is, Kate said, when I speak Spanish, I feel a lot. I feel that I want to smile, dance, sing and enjoy life. That's, that's, that's how it's going, you know. I'm, I'm changing, you know. Really, when I'm speaking Spanish, I'm changing. Right, well, can you point it down, like, what exactly is changing? Yeah, so uh, Spanish language. Yeah, you know, when I was younger, I always wanted to be an actress. So I definitely can tell you that when I speak all these three languages, I it's like my different masks, my different personalities. So English, yes, I'm a businesswoman. I'm some a teacher, a person who can deal with everything. And when I speak English, I'm much braver really much braver than when I speak Russian. I can do a lot of things because in my family, I was the best and I am the best English speaker and it always was uh, something that my parents admired in me. Oh yes, you did something that we couldn't do. And so I felt that respect. My English is my great resource. It's something which is just given now and that I can use for myself, for other people. But Spanish, I do not even want to earn money from Spanish language. I just want to have fun. And anytime I want to go to, to some resorts or some hot places just to have some rest, I go to Spain. And I just, I don't know how it's happening, but I listen to this language and I'm just relaxing. I just feel happiness. Do you have any favorite words in any of the three? Yeah, yeah, I do have. Especially, I can identify them in English, I guess. Mm -hmm. I like, maybe because I'm Russian and Russian is harsh, <laughs> uh, I can tell you that uh, I like words that sound beautiful, such words as, uh, I don't know, lullaby or bumblebee. Mm -hmm. So all the, all the sounds, they make me feel so nice. <laughs> what else? Oh, I really like the word uh, serendipity. I like it's because of its meaning, uh, because I guess that we don't have its meaning in Russian language. So it's, it's, it's an amazing word. I like, I like English idioms. Uh, I have a favorite. It's, uh, it takes two to tango. It's like my credo, you know. I always follow this idiom in my life uh, because I am to do everything by myself. And I always stop myself by saying it again and again, like, come on, Kate. You just need to stop here because it always takes two to tango. If another person, another situation, another, I don't know, structure wants you, okay, uh, he, she, they will do something for the connection. If not, well, you can just come down, relax and listen to Spanish music. <laughs> yes.
Oh, I have mentioned some words as well. I like the word vulnerability. I like the meaning and like how it sounds. Also, I like two names of flowers. My favorite is forget-me-not. In Russian, we have almost the same uh, meaning, but the order of the words makes me like inspired. Like, wow, forget-me-not. So unusual even for English language. Mm -hmm. So I really like it. And also I like lily of the wally. I like these four words. They're all together. They are my favorite. Oh yeah, that's quite a selection. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Do you have any favorites in Russian? In Russian? Mm. Kate didn't have an answer at the time, but later she told me that her favorite words in Russian are золото, which means gold, воспоминание, which means memory, яблоня, which means apple tree, ласточка, which means swallow, and another name of a bird, which is flamingo. And as you can guess, it means flamingo. That was definitely so nice. And exactly, I know what you're talking about. The way they make you feel inside, just warm and cozy. Yes. And like, oh my God. When I pronounce it, yeah. Actually, I like everything to make me feel joy. These words, all, all what I mentioned in English, they make me feel joy. First, I don't know what's happening again, yeah, but it, it somehow influences. Yeah, it definitely does. And are there any words in Russian that you wish English had or other way around? Yeah, I also thought about it. Uh, firstly, <laughs> first thing... English language, take notes. I guess that there is no word istina mm. in English language. So they have the translation. So istina, it's like true. But as for me, it's not so true. If we translate it into Russian, it would be pravda. Mm -hmm. And istina, istina, it's, I guess it's truly Russian word. So it's complete and utter undeniable truth. So just pretty much me saying I love you to any dog I see. I wish English had that, mm -hmm. that word. I wish English uh, had such word as I will explain for you. So uh, in Russian language, we uh, have a lot of relatives. I guess every nationality have them. But in Russian, we have a special name for every person. And in English, we don't have it. So in English, they all are called like mother-in-law, father-in-law, for example. I do like, I don't know why, but I don't like it. I, I wish they had some special name, you know, so, like, like, we, like we Russians have here. The term in law, by the way, comes from canon law in the 14th century, which would say to people, No, 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 if they wanted to marry a close relative or a former spouse. Now it's more chill, I guess, but the word stuck. Uh, also, I have realized that English people don't have the word poshly. Ah. Yeah, so poshlist, the only translation is probably vulgarity, nice. but it's not the same. So we have the word poshly, and I even it's really hard to explain it. What does it mean? So poshly more or less means dirty, with a pinch of vulgar, a dash of tasteless, and banal as a chair on top. And it's a very common word in Russian language, I guess. We use it so so frequently. What about other ways, vice versa? Uh, I have made a list of words uh -huh. which I want Russian <laughs> to have. Russian? Take notes. Firstly, I really hate that in Russian language we must ask something like, do you have brother or sister? We don't have the word sibling. Uh, or do you have grandmother or grandfather? So long. Grandparents. So I wish we had it. Then I really like that kind of words as uh, serendipity. Mm -hmm. I do like it. We also don't have it in Russian language. I have known one more word. I guess it appeared maybe a few years ago, but I really like it in English language. Uh, brandalism. 
Do you know what's that? No. In, in St. Pete, we have it a lot. So it's when there is some old, beautiful building, but it's covered by some ad mm. or by some, I don't know, something, something else. And it's, it can be like that for many years. Yeah, only later I realized it is just brand plus vandalism. And uh, I like this word and we don't have anything like that. So uh, I wish we had something like that as well. I guess maybe that's it. That's All right. it. Yeah, but that's a very substantial list as well. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. So do you have any advice for the people trying to study Russian? Ooh, <laughs> don't do it. <laughs> I guess that these people, uh, I'm sorry again, I'm really sorry, but I think that people who do it, they kind of don't like themselves. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> they're crazy somehow, or maybe maybe their relatives were from Russia. I don't know why they did it because I had some friends and uh, who studied in Saint Petersburg. They uh, had studied English for maybe three or four years before they came uh, to Saint P, and they studied in Saint P for a year. And only after that, after like four, three, five years of learning Russian language, they could say only very basic things and uh, with a huge accent, with a lot of mistakes. And of course, I admired them and I said, wow, guys, you're doing so good. But well, wow, <laughs> you know, you know, I don't know. But in all seriousness, please, if you want to study Russian, do it. Don't let your dreams be dreams. Just be patient and know that it is quite challenging. Yeah, it's really challenging. Actually, challenge it's one more word that I wish uh, Russian people had. Because I guess that our translation, Wizov, it's not it's exactly not the same. Really. So I wish we had some stronger word. Because challenge is one of my favorite words in English. You as a teacher, uh -huh. what's your favorite way to teach and to learn language? To teach language? Well, uh, my favorite, I guess, is to show people that uh, they don't have to, to have any fears and they don't have to worry and just to give them the support. Mm -hmm. So my best way and also to show them that I'm also not perfect. I try to show them that I also make mistakes, that I'm not afraid to do some challenging things mm -hmm. because uh, sometimes I'm uh, making some videos where I, not because I wanted it, because it happened, so I make also some mistakes and sometimes I... Um, misspell something and etc and um, I just try to show them that you don't have to be afraid that you better say something you better explain yourself then you just keep calm and you don't say anything and also I'm really into psychology and I try I'm really into my Russian life in my own life and I feel that sometimes people who have problems in English they also have problems in just saying in just expressing themselves and I always love when in a month or in two months they start not to be afraid and uh, sometimes for some students it's even hard to say something loud you know just mm -hmm. to I'm not talking about shouting yes but just to express themselves say what other hobbies and what do they like doing so I just Try to teach them that nothing gonna happen if you just say it. It's it's okay. You can make mistakes. You can fail, but just do something. Express yourself. Express yourself. Because if you don't express yourself, nobody will find you. Like if you just sit in your room and you don't travel, you don't communicate. Nothing will change. So just trying to show them this idea. And so, as a learner, is there anything that you like doing? Uh, <laughs> yeah, actually, it's it's funny, but I really like to do a lot of tests. 
I like to test myself every time. I like to watch movies, definitely. Mm -hmm. I like to watch them. But the best part probably is that I like listening to music. And maybe it's coming from my childhood. Yeah, I really like it. I like to figure out any new expressions, collocations, idioms, um, uh, even... Grammar mistakes, yes, because these grammar mistakes are not mistakes. Like we all know that now Americans, they say he like and it's so normal for them. I like to also to mention it and to understand that, well, just language is improving. It's something is happening with us. And I like to mention uh, these things. I also really like to listen to other teachers and I love to listen to podcasts of teachers, of uh, native speakers, of Russian teachers. I like to see how do people explain something? What ways do they find to, to show some topics, some grammar topics, some ideas? It's a real inspiration for me as a teacher and for me as a learner. Final two questions. What's the worst thing of knowing two, three languages in your case? No. <laughs> They're no. Not, I'm absolutely sure. I tried, I, I really I struggled to find some, but I, I cannot find anything. I wish my children would speak English as, as bilingual. Because, uh -huh. uh, not I wish, but just I hope I will have uh, opportunity to teach them from the childhood. I don't know where, when, when should I start. I will read a lot of books about that, I guess. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe one year old or something like that. I really want them to speak at least uh, Russian and English. Mm -hmm. I think that it's no, no cons, only pros here. You just give your child freedom to... At least you can listen not only to Russian news, but you can also listen to BBC, to CNN, you can you can compare, you can uh, be really smart and educated person because you can analyze, you cannot listen to somebody and believe, mm -hmm. you can just prove everything. And this is the greatest pros of being bilingual to speak two, three languages. And also there is no barrier between you and a person who is from the other culture. So you can really get this person. You can read the poetry, you can watch movies and you can you don't need any translation, any interpretation of other people. So you can get it as it is and you can by this you can understand exactly what is this culture. What is the nationality? What is the soul of these people? How do they live? And yeah, I gonna have a gooski now. Yeah. So this is like blessing, I guess, and that's what I like in languages. If you'd like to learn more about Russian, I guess you'll have to wait for that special bonus episode I'm planning. I'm aware this episode was a little bit poetry heavy, so I thought being surrounded by so many linguists, you know, the people who studied all this consistently and on purpose. I might just convince one to come and make them pack the five plus years of experience in one hour. Achievable goals, please, Jeff. So stay tuned for that. And if you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so via Patreon at patreon.com slash whatlane, where you will find behind the scenes stuff and more about the creation of the podcast. Also, I will send you all my love and adoration the moment you press the become a patron button. You can also get some merch, the link for that in the description. And of course, you can support the podcast for zero money by subscribing, rating, leaving a review, whatever you're listening, following on social media, and, you know, just telling every living soul that you come in contact with about the show. Thank you so much for listening and supporting. And also, thanks to my friend Maxim for his editorial guidance and for always answering my out-of-the-blue questions about languages and linguistics. Next week, we're going to talk about French. See you then. Au revoir.
в бе